Thank you, Mike, and thanks, Katie, for entering the service. Good morning, Oceanside Church. It's so good to be with you this morning here, this week, and well, the past couple weeks, there really have been a lot of people in and out of the hospital. Um, as some of you may know, as a staff, we pray uh, every morning at the beginning of our workday for about an hour. And wow, it seems like a lot of people right now are in and out of the hospital, suffering with different things, uh, you know, people fighting uh, with failing bodies, as sad as it is to say that. And while it's been a privilege to pray into all of these situations, it's always a sobering way to begin our day. Because when you pray about those things and when you pray about such serious things every day, you really have to secure yourself in God's truth. You know, in the times where our physical bodies are failing, well, you know, first we do pray for healing. In each one of these situations, whenever we get something into the office here, uh, we pray for healing for you guys. We pray that you guys will be restored and out of that hospital as quickly as possible. And then secondly, we come back to the promises of God again and again, you know, because in the natural world, while we're dealing with all of these situations, it's so important to remind ourselves what God says in his ultimate truth, the eternal truth, you know, truth like from Ephesians 2 verse 4 and 5, where it says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he had loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And in Colossians 2 verse 13, where it says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses. And in John 14, 19, where it says, Yet in a little while the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live and you also will live. And I love this. When we're praying into these situations where it seems bodies are failing, where we're contending for healing, but there's this great truth, this great reminder in 1 Corinthians 15 from verse 42, where it says, So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. He's talking about the body here. It is sown in weakness, but it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. You know, we cling to these amazing scriptures and these are just a couple of them because our present physical realities sometimes say something different. We know that these passages refer not to an earthly victory, but an eternal victory that Jesus has won for us. You know, that's the reason why we have joy in these situations. That's the reasons why we can struggle or we can be without a job and we can still have joy as Christians because God is winning for us an eternal victory. I tell you, church, this week and the past couple of weeks have been a couple of weeks of securing ourselves in those victories. The eternal truth trumps the truth of the here and now. We wait in them, don't we? We soak in them. When hard times come, we rest in them. We find comforting. Really, it is the comfort of God, His Word. And on the back of praying into all these difficult situations recently, I felt God give me a picture just in the past couple days that sort of spoke out of these situations as we contend and also rest in these scriptures. 
Well, it was a picture of a medical waiting room. You know, the one where you kind of go and awkwardly sit in a circle of strangers. Maybe, you know, you're going to the dentist of something and there's that silent, sterile room that you wait in before your name is called. And everybody's head's turned as the, as the next name is called, but ah, it's not yours just yet. Your dentist is running late. You know, there's a TV on in the background and good news, it's the cooking channel. So you can watch that and pretend to be interested. Um, you know, there's magazines scattered all over the, the coffee table in the middle. You know, the top 10 perfect vacations or the most amazing adventures you can go on in your life or gardening tips or whatever it is. And for some obscure reason, wherever you go, a luxurious but not really that too luxurious fish tank on the side. That you can just watch and pass the time. You know, the minutes don't seem so bad when you're sitting in that room with all just the little simple distractions. And I felt God say, I felt God put this picture in my mind this week to say, we need to get out of the waiting room. That is to say, we need to get out of the spiritual waiting room. And here's what I mean by that. Many of us are living life, you know, only in the future promise of a few warm and fuzzy scripture promises that we know safe and well. You know, we're safe in the knowledge that one day we will have new life in Christ. And that's an amazing fact. We can all be safe in that knowledge. And while those promises are good and are true for each one of us here today, they are ultimately only about our own safety and security. We can be in the spiritual waiting room if we're just waiting for our turn in God's spirit. If we're just sitting down, counting down the hours or the years or the decades that we still have to come before we see him face to face. Yes, we're physically alive and doing well, most of us, and living life. Yes, life is busy, but our spiritual selves can sometimes be, you know, stuck sitting in that spiritual waiting room. And instead of the circle of strangers, maybe it's in a circle of believers, but none of us wants to go too deep beneath the surface. You know, instead of that sterile environment, you know, maybe we found a safe and unoffensive gospel that lacks the qualities for real growth and advancement. We're flipping through the magazines of amazing travels and adventures of these explorers, but we aren't really planning to get out of our comfy seat. We're happy to enjoy the report back of someone else's adventure. How true can that be in our spiritual life as well? And the cooking show in the corner that you occasionally glance out, you know, you're never really going to go home and make that recipe. How many times have we watched something or we challenged something, something that's made us salivate in the spirit, but then when we get home, we revert to the old things, the easy things, the things we know already. And as wonderful, and well, I wouldn't really describe a medical waiting room as wonderful, as, as nice and easy as that place is, we need to get out of it, church. After all, it's a waiting room. It's not the destination. Earlier, we read that we are alive in Christ. We're secure in that adoption, that in the coming day, when we stand before him, we will be welcome home. We find these scriptures comforting because although this physical world, along with our bodies, will someday pass away, we know that there is a new body waiting for us and a new world and new life coming. It's good. It's not wrong to dwell in those scriptures and those to be the ones that we look at. But that statement 
those things, they're a half truth. Why? Because we're not waiting for the spiritual life to begin. We're not waiting for the next life to start. Yes, we are waiting to see Jesus face to face, but he has given us his Holy Spirit to last, to start living as spiritual people right now. The life in the Spirit is here, and it's here to be lived. We need to move from the spiritual waiting room into action. You know, the disciples after Jesus' death and resurrection, they had, you know, the end game on their minds. They were like, wow, we've spent three years with this guy. We've come so far. We've been, you know, chased away by mobs. We've done all these things. Jesus has just died. He's rose again. Wow, the end is here. They thought, you know, pat on the back. Good job, guys. We've, we've done it. We've made it. But in Acts 1, verses 6 to 8, Jesus says something different. So just leading into it from verse 6, it says, So when they had come together, that's the disciples, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It's not the time for you to know the times or the season that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In the flesh, the disciples, I think, were hoping to kick back. They were hoping to relax and Jesus to carry the ball over the finish line and the kingdom, bam, it should come right now. But Jesus, we know, he was just getting the new movement started. And in place of himself, he was sending another. The disciples knew that Jesus had secured them the victory. But what was about to be revealed was baptism and life in the Spirit. Now's a good chance to actually plug tonight's School of the Bible course. It's actually on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So 7 p.m. tonight, head to oceansidechurch.ca forward slash school and you can join the Zoom class there to find more about what it means to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Reading on to it, just to quickly go through it today, from Acts 2, verse 1 to 4, we see when the day of Pentecost arrived, that's the day that they were baptized in the Holy Spirit, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. It filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Later on, when, when the uh, disciple Peter was talking to the people around him, he quoted this verse to explain what had just, has ha- just had happened. In Acts 2, verse 17 to 18, he, he quotes the book of Joel, and he says, In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and my female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. The disciples were quickly realizing a new status quo for life. It was no longer follow behind Jesus and do what he does. It was live in the power of the Spirit. It was to continue that, but now be equipped and sent out by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
church, God wants to get us out of the waiting room and into life in the Spirit, by the Spirit, through the baptism of the Spirit, which would take and is declaring the kingdom of God to the ends of the earth. In Mark 1, verse 14 and 15, it says, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Just take a look around you this morning. What's the closest thing by? Perhaps for me, it's the Bible. Um, you know, it has, it has a form. It has a descriptive value. It has volume. It has weight. It has substance. It even, you know, has an aroma to it as well. It glistens in the light, the sight of it. I don't know what you've got in your hands this morning, but the kingdom of God is at hand, just like I can pick up this thing and read it and touch it. The kingdom of God is at hand, Jesus says. You know, I think uh, Mike told you a bit earlier about the fact that Joy and Deborah were both uh, in the hospital uh, earlier this week. And one of the stories that, that came out of that that I heard just off the back of it is that actually Joy and Deborah were going into the hospital at the same time. Joy got there a bit earlier and was actually stuck in the waiting room waiting for her uh, stuff to happen. And, you know, just waiting there, uh, probably knitting, if you know Joy. And uh, anyway, she caught wind. She heard that Deborah was on her way to the hospital as well for some pain. And suddenly, Joy knew why she was there. She said that, ah, oh, now I know why I'm, why I'm here today. It's to pray for Deborah. It's so I can be close by. It's so I can be here. And I think that's amazing to be able to seize every opportunity, even when stuck in, in a physical waiting room, to seize the opportunity to see what God is doing at that time. God wants to move through the faithful. God is creating opportunities through the faithful. This happened as well, but when, when Deborah was recovering from her surgery, uh, in the recovery room, she was put next to a young lady. And they struck up a conversation and it turned out that that young lady would possibly need to have a liver transplant. You know Deborah's story? Well, she has gone through two of them. Horrible situations, but it's amazing how God puts us together with people who need to hear his plans for them. Church, we have a message of hope. We have the solution. It's Jesus Christ and God is putting us in those places. In Romans 12, verses 1 to 2, it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Joy discerned what was the will of God in that situation. That despite her own struggles, that she believed that God is still placing her and putting her in situations where she can affect change. Amen. What a testament to the faithfulness of God that woman's life is. Both Deborah and Joy, despite physical ailments in their body, they presented their situation to God and said, Here I am. Why don't you use me here? Although I don't want to be here, you've put me here, use me here. I exist to see your kingdom come to others. Do it in this very place, this hospital, this ward, this recovery room.
God is calling us out of the boring waiting room where we're just waiting for something to happen to us in the spiritual life. But he's pushing us into the spiritual life to walk for ourselves alongside the Holy Spirit. Today, we have a choice to choose life in the Spirit or to choose life according to the flesh. It also says in Romans 8, it says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. With all of these guys going through tremendous situations right now, and we know there's many more of you at Oceanside who are in and out of the hospital at this time as well. We're praying for all of you. But I know that Mark, Deborah, and Joy all know how to set their mind on the Spirit, even in perilous physical situations. It is possible for Christians to live according to the flesh. Although eternally saved, we can live according to the worldly ways. You know, Ephesians 4 calls it, you know, walking in the futility of the worldly mind. What does futility mean? It just means basically walking in the useless of the worldly mind, walking in the pointlessness of the way the world walks sometimes. But where in Romans 8, 6, it says, but to set the mind on the spirit is life. Well, you know what, reading that, it's not just life for us. Yes, to set the mind on the spirit is life for us. But it's not just for us. It's life for everyone around us. It's life for the person who's sitting in the recovery room next to us. It's life to Nanaimo. It's life for your boss, your spouse, your children, your grocery clerk, everyone. To set the mind on the Spirit is life. The Spirit of God brings life everywhere it sets foot. Setting our minds on the Spirit, combined with a hunger to see God's kingdom come in our places of influence, leads to kingdom opportunities and influence in our city. There are some giants that need to be slain in our city. I'm not talking about people. I'm talking about things that are oppressing people, holding people captive. Now, shout out to the amazing 180 storytelling team here, but I cannot seem to get the Jesus Storybook Bible out of my son Zion's hand. He loves it. Every bedtime, we read stories. His room is filled with different storybooks. He's got Christmas storybooks there. He's got, you know, Paw Patrol storybooks. He's got Pete the Cat storybooks. Um, But since he's got his Jesus Storybook Bible, he loves it. It's awesome. There's things in there that he's never seen in other storybooks. (laughs) Pretty cool. Particularly the story of David and Goliath. You know the story. Uh, Young boy David comes and slays the Philistine giant Goliath in battle simply with a few stones and a sling. It's an amazing story and my son wants to read it every night before bed. He loves it. You know, he wants to be a little David as well. But uh, I do try and remind him, hey, before you throw stones at daycare, just ask your teacher if that one uh, particularly needs slaying today. Uh, Anyway, um, just reflecting on that story, it says some amazing things about the truth that David knew going into battle. So turning back to the Old Testament, 1 Samuel 17, uh, verse 34 to 37, it says, but David said to Saul, who was king, Your servant, David speaking about himself, used to keep sheep for his father. 
And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, well, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine, that's Goliath, shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. You know, David was brave. He was so brave because of his fighting experience of being a shepherd and having to conquer wild animals. But bravery to live as Christ has called us doesn't come from experience but it is awarded to us freely by the transforming work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and the knowledge of what Jesus has done for us. That no man can stand against the will of God. So if God calls us to do something, we can do it. We need look no further than the disciples' experience. You know, a quivering wreck of a group of men after Jesus' death. But after Pentecost, after that baptism in the Holy Spirit, could you get in their way? Was there any suffering that was big enough to stop them? No. An unstoppable force. Not because the force was by men alone. Not because the force was by men through God. Back to 1 Samuel. It says, Then David said to the Philistine, that's Goliath, You come to me with a sword and with a spear. And with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth. Goliath had just said something very similar to David about what he was going to do to him. Um, But let's continue on. That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. Church, do we think Nanaimo is a battlefield? Do we get up each day thinking that Nanaimo is a battlefield, that our workplaces are a battlefield for God. No, well, they are. And while David fought with a sling and then gruesomely chopped off his head with a sword, we fight like Jesus fought, with love and with the sword of the Spirit. You know, this past year has sucked the life out of lots of things. But God keeps bringing me back to the word opportunity. Church, The kingdom of God is at hand. COVID has not taken away that fact. Our battleground is outside the front door of our houses today. It's our neighbors. It's our people. We need to win. And the prize is people to be loved. Our faith isn't an inward security seal that we one day get to present before Jesus and say, hey, I can come in. But it's an outward call to the men, women, and children around us. And just like David knew, God has given us the victory. Church, as an eldership team, as a leadership team, I know Mike's, Mike's heart is the same. 
But we're praying as we come out of this COVID season and even while we're still in it, that we would form a hunger to see the lost save. This time, this year, these seasons have robbed so much. But if anything, it's awakened us to what is the real priority of life in our days. I know for me, I'm hungrier now than I was before COVID. I know for me that I want to see the church go out now in strength to reach the people of Nanaimo than before COVID. We were so busy with so many things before. Not that those things were bad, but sometimes they could be a distraction, sort of like being in the waiting room. Church, we need to break out. We need to get out of the boring old waiting room and into life. David went to the river and he picked up stones because he knew what God would do. What's in our river? What does God want to put in our hands? Which Goliath is God calling us to conquer? As we go throughout our day today, tomorrow and the rest of this week, God is putting people in our paths. Let us not just wake up to God when things are physically ailing us or trouble comes, but let us wake up to God every hour of every day. Let us live with a hunger for the lost. Let's get out of the waiting room and into life.